the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you through the squeaking door. Well, been shopping around for a nice case of murder? Of course you have. And you've come to the right place because the characters on this program simply kill themselves to keep you amused. Why, only the other day we were accused of making murder our business. But we wouldn't do that, friends. Oh, no. Because that would be mixing business with pleasure. And we consider it a pleasure to give some stiff the business. <laughs> And now, friends, tonight's story is a triangle tale concerning a man, a woman, and a murderer. You've heard it said that those who laugh last laugh best, but we're going to prove that it never pays to get into a laughing contest with a ghost. Because ghosts always get the last laugh. (laughs) I know he's dead. His body's been in the grave for weeks. And yet, although I tell myself it's impossible, I can hear him laugh. That raucous, mocking sound haunts me. Same laugh that I heard for the first time in the courtroom. He'd never laughed during all the weeks of the trial. Never even smiled. But this day when he came before me for sentencing... John Spencer, you have been found guilty of murder in the first degree. Do you wish to make a statement before sentence is imposed? I killed Hicks, I'm willing to admit it now. But he was no good. He got just what he deserved. And everybody knows it. I'm not a killer. I never committed a crime before. And all I ask now is a chance. John Spencer, the jury took all of that into consideration when it recommended life imprisonment. However, I have the power to ignore that recommendation. It is my firm conviction that to allow one man to take the law into his own hands is to encourage others to do likewise. I therefore override the recommendation of the jury and sentence you to be hung by the neck until dead. No! Judge, please! I got a girl! We were gonna be married! All I ask is to live so I can see her once in a while! 
You should have thought about that before you committed murder. It's easy for you to tell me what I should have done, but you won't always be on top. Maybe someday, you'll be down here where I am. And when that happens, I hope they throw the book at you, just like you're doing to me. Bailiff, remove the prisoner. Won't I be laughing when that happens? Wherever I am, I'll be laughing fit to bust. <laughs> Same old story. Prisoner pleads innocence or guilty with good cause. Asks mercy. When clemency is refused, condemned man curses judge and hopes the judge will someday find himself in a similar plight. Spencer's outburst failed to move me in the slightest. I had heard it so many times before. I went home to forget about the Spencer case. Richard. Richard. Is that you, Richard? Yes, dear. I'll, I'll come in as soon as I've freshened up. Come right now. I've been waiting here all day. Surely it's not too much to ask. All right, all right, Laura. I'm coming. Oh, my goodness. Richard, I want you to meet my new nurse, Margaret Cummings. This is Judge Thornton, Miss Cummings. How do you do? Miss Cummings? Haven't we met before? That's hardly likely. That's probably my face. It's so, um, ordinary. Well, on the contrary, Miss Cummings, I should say your face is rather unusual. Richard, suppose you stop that silly chatter about faces and talk to Miss Cummings about her duties. Very well. Come into my study, Miss Cummings. We can talk better there. Sit down, please. There's not much to say, really. In the first place, my wife's heart condition isn't really dangerous. Yeah, I kind of gathered that from Dr. Fletcher. Oh, he told you about my wife, eh? Oh, yes, um, yeah. You're a professional person, nurse, and I believe in frankness. It makes things easier. My wife is 11 years my senior, getting on past middle age. She, uh, is a bit worried. Not that I give her any grounds for it. Jealous. You understand? Um, um, actually, perfectly. She's not an easy person to get along with. You'll have to humor her. Um, I, <laughs> I'll do my best, sir. And, uh, Miss Cummings? Um, yes? I was just wondering where it was that I saw you before. It escapes me. You know, Miss Cummings, your face is rather haunting. That was how it began. We played a game during those first few weeks. I would ask, Miss Cummings, where was it that I first saw you? Don't you remember yet? No, I don't. Well, I do, and someday, if you're nice, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we would laugh together. Having the girl in the house made me feel young again. Of course, it didn't last. It ended one evening in Laura's room. Richard. Yes, dear? Put down the newspaper. I want to talk to you. I'm listening. Um, don't you think you're going a little bit too far, Richard? Too far? Well, what do you mean? Um, dude. Miss Cummings. Seriously. Let's take a talk. Oh. I won't stand for it. I won't allow you to disgrace me in my own home. With a mo with a woman, with a woman who's a little more than a servant. Oh, Laura, for heaven's sake! 
I may be a bedridden invalid with MS, but there is a limit. You're jumping to ridiculous conclusions, Laura. Uh, ridiculous? I suppose you'll deny you're in love with Miss Cummings and that you're carrying on with her right under my nose. I certainly I'll deny it. I've got eyes, Richard. I've seen you two whispering together. I've watched how you look at her. Oh, you're talking utter nonsense. There is nothing between me and Miss Cummings. <laughs> nothing? Are you serious? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, then, I'll give you a chance to prove what you say. I don't want Miss Cummings here. Fire her. You want me to fire her? Um... Actually, yes, I do, Richard. Miss Cummings, I... Well, this is going to be rather unpleasant. You see my wife? Oh, my God. Yes, I know. She wants me to leave. Yes, how did you know? I couldn't help overhearing the conversation. Well, then you also know why she wants you to leave. But you warned me when I first came here, she was jealous. It's been very pleasant having you here. Seriously, thank you very much. I'm going to miss you. Uh, Miss Cummings, could I have your home address? Of course. Why do you want it? I hope you won't think me presumptuous, but, well, perhaps we might be able to see each other. Seriously, would that be wise for us to do? No, it wouldn't be wise, but I might as well face it. I couldn't hide it from Laura, and now I can't hide it from myself. I heard Spencer's laugh for the first time since the day in the courtroom. I set it down as a figment of the imagination, born out of a feeling of guilt due to my disloyalty to Laura. I put it out of my mind. I had other things to think about. The slip of paper with Margaret Cummings' address on it was in my pocket. A dozen times during the next week, I picked up the telephone to call her, but something held me back. It was fear, I guess. Fear that if I saw her again, I would be taking a final irrevocable step. But then I couldn't stand it any longer without seeing her. I dialed her number. Hello? Is that you, Margaret? Yes, who is this? This is Richard. Um, uh, 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 Judge Thornton? Yes, Judge Thornton. Uh, 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 oh, hello, how are you? It's been so long, I thought you'd forgotten me. There's little chance of that. Could I see you tonight, Margaret? Why, yes, of course. Come over as soon as you like. I dressed carefully. 
Examining myself in the mirror, I saw a tall man, still on the right side of fifty, still trim in figure and distinguished in appearance. When I got to Margaret's apartment, my heart was beating fast, like a boy on his first date. Somehow, I don't know quite how it happened. She was in my arms, and I was kissing her. Oh, Richard. My darling. Oh, you know, we're, we're, we're being foolish. Sit down, darling. Here, beside me. Wait, like this? That's perfect. Margaret, would you marry me? Wait a minute. Mary, you can't be serious. I've never been more serious in my life. Um, dude, are you forgetting a little detail? <laughs> no, I'm not forgetting about Laura. She has a weak heart. She may die. And if she dies... Well, I wouldn't count on it. If your wife takes very good care of herself, she may live to be like a hundred or ninety-nine. But if she should die, would you marry me? I don't know. It's not fair to ask me now. Not while your wife is still alive. Um, ask me later. Oh, Richard, did you have a pleasant evening at the club? I didn't go to the club, Laura. What, no? No, I lied to you. I spent the evening with Margaret Cummings. Um, uh, uh, Richard? You were right. I'm in love with her. I never knew what love meant before. I can't live without her. You're mad. You don't know what you're saying. I want a divorce, Seriously. I want... Divorce? No. I want it immediately. You can't do this to me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is killing my heart. What? You can't do this. You can't do this. My pills, Richard, give them to me. Hurry, hurry. Please. Oh, my goodness. I knew she was pretending the heart attack, hoping to play on my sympathy. That was Laura's <gasps> favorite trick. Oh, my god! It always worked before. Not oh this gosh. time. This time, I would pretend. Oh, my goodness. Until I was ready to act. I gave her the pills, watched her take oh them, and goodness. sink back on the pillow. Richard! Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for the pills. I can't believe it. That, that really scared me. Feel better now? Uh, yeah, a lot better. Don't know what I've done without you here, but I think I would have died. Um, this scares me big time. Richard, you say you didn't mean what you said before, don't you see? I couldn't go on living without you. You've given me my pills. You won't have to, Laura. Then you won't leave me for that girl, right? I'll take care oh of you. Oh my goodness. Here, let me make you more comfortable. Your pillow needs rearranging. Yes, it does. Oh my goodness. Richard, what are you doing? I... What are you doing? I'm fixing the pillow. I still stop twisting around. This isn't much different from a heart attack. Oh! Laura? She's dead. Hello. 
Dr. Fletcher. Yes? Uh, this is Judge Thornton. Please, come quickly, Doctor. My wife has had a, a heart attack. It happened during an argument, hmm? It was nothing important, Doctor, just a domestic quarrel. And suddenly she had the attack. I, I gave her the pills, but by that, well, by that time it was too late. That's too bad. If only I had known her condition had become so dangerous. Oh, Judge, you've nothing to reproach yourself for. These things happen. Well, will you take care of the formalities, Doctor? Yes, of course. The, the death certificate? I'll just uh, list the cause as failure of the heart. There was no need to act the part of the stricken husband after Dr. Fletcher left. I stood looking down at Laura's body. She was dead. And Dr. Fletcher's certificate would clear me of any suspicion of murder. I was free. Free to marry Margaret. I went. To, I walked to Margaret's apartment that night. The street was dark. Empty. I had the uncomfortable feeling that I was being watched. Followed. Then I heard footsteps behind me. I hurried my pace. The man behind me did likewise. Frightened as I was, I decided to stop and confront the follower. He came toward me, his face and figure shadowy in the dark. What do you want? Why are you following me? You ought to know, Judge Thornton. Who are you? Come closer so I can... Oh, Spencer! John Spencer, it can't be! You're dead! Dead, am I? Well, you ought to know, Judge. <laughs> now, take it easy, mister. Take it easy. Just tell me what happened. I was being followed, officer. So I turned around to see who it was. And did you see who it was? Yes, and that's why I fainted. The man following me was a dead man. He was a... What's that? The man following me is dead. I know he's dead, officer. I oughta run you in. You're crazy. <laughs> I had intended to tell Margaret that Laura was dead. I meant to ask her to marry me. But the encounter on the street drove those thoughts out of my mind. Arriving at her apartment, I went directly to the window and looked out. And there, across the street, leaning against the wall, I saw John Spencer. Richard, I'm insulted. What? Seriously. You didn't kiss me, or you haven't even said hello. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, dear. But that, that man across the street, he, he, he can't be real, and yet if he isn't... Um, I'm confused. What man, Richard? Don't you see him? Um, there's no guy across the street. He, he was there a moment ago. I turned my head to talk to you, and now he's gone. Um... Dear, you're trembling. It's either duck season or you must be sick. Don't look at me like that. Richard, what's the matter? I, I guess I am sick. I'd better go and have a talk with Dr. Fletcher. Yes, I remember the Spencer case very well, Judge Thornton. You could have spared Spencer's life, but didn't. And now you imagine that he follows you? Yes. But the man is dead. 
Then it was his ghost that followed me. His ghost I spoke to. His ghost that laughs. There are no ghosts, Judge Thornton. Well, with one exception. The ghosts we carry about inside us. What do you mean? Well, these things you hear and see, these are hallucinations brought on by feelings of guilt. Spencer's been dead for weeks, so the question is, why should you experience guilt feelings at this late date? I, I don't know. Well, psychiatry has an explanation. Quite often in such cases, one refuses to face the guilt object and transfers his guilt feelings to some other person. What are you driving at? I'm suggesting that your guilt feelings are not caused by the Spencer incident, and I'm going to ask you a blunt question. Did you murder your wife? Why, of all the idiotic! Now, just a moment, Judge, just a moment. I've been rather uneasy about the circumstances of Mrs. Thornton's death. You yourself diagnosed it as a heart attack. I accepted what you told me that night. A superficial examination of the body did indicate such a conclusion, yes, but your wife's cardiac condition was mild. Now, your guilt feelings lead me to suspect... This murder talk is ridiculous. Were there any signs of struggle? Any marks of violence? Of course not. Mrs. Thornton might have been... suffocating? Oh, nonsense! Perhaps... At any rate, I intend to recommend to the coroner that an autopsy be performed. An autopsy? Yes, it would determine whether or not death was due to suffocation. You should have no objection, if I am mistaken. You meddling fool! Judge Thornton, put down that paperweight. You're so clever. Stay away from me. I've gone too far now to stop at another murder! lost my head. I should have agreed to the autopsy. That would have given me a day or two in which to plan my escape. But now as things were, it would be only a matter of hours before Fletcher's body was discovered. My thoughts twisted and turned to panic. Maybe someday you'll be down here where I am. Won't I be laughing when that happens? Wherever I am, I'll be laughing fit to bust! <laughs> I ran. Ran like a frightened child. I needed help, and there was no one to turn to. Margaret! She loved me. She'd help me. I went to Margaret and told her what had happened. Oh, you killed your wife. For you, so we could be married. Dr. Fletcher? I had to kill him, Margaret. He was going to recommend an autopsy. Uh, why in the hell did you come here? We've got to run away. We still have an hour or two. We can charter a plane whoa, to Canada whoa, or Mexico. whoa, 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 whoa. What makes you think I'd run away with you? Well, I thought, I thought you loved me. I'm gonna turn you over to the police. Margaret, you can't mean that. Can I just watch me? Margaret, listen, listen, before you pick up that phone, even if you don't love me, even if you won't go away with me, give me a chance, have mercy. You make me laugh. Judge Thornton, who never gave <clears throat> anyone else a break, pleading for mercy... Well, turn around and ask the man behind you for mercy. Behind me? That's right. Spencer! John Spencer! Take another look, Judge. No. No, you're not John Spencer. There's a resemblance, but you're not John Spencer. I'm his brother. You're the man that was following me. That's right. I was tricked. Led on by Margaret to kill my wife and forced by you to portray myself to Dr. Fletcher. But why? Why, Margaret? Why did you do this? Ha ha ha. 
For revenge. Revenge? Um, actually, yeah. The first day I came to your house, I thought... You thought my face was familiar. Well, now I'll tell you, it was where you first saw me. It was the courtroom at John Spencer's trial. Courtroom, yes, yes. Yeah, remember how he begged for mercy? He told you he he had a gal. Well, he was engaged to be married, and you could have given him his life, but you sentenced him to death. Were you the girl? Was I the gal? Yes, I was the gal. Spencer, did did he know about this? All this was his plan. His revenge, darling. You know, plans come around. Operator, give me police headquarters. I want to report some report a murder. I can't. Yes, that's right, a murder. Tell them a very tell them it's very important to get here as soon as they can. I'm waiting now for the police to come for the trial, for the sentence, which I know will be death. As I wait, my thoughts go back to that courtroom. You won't always be on top. Maybe someday you'll be down here where I am. And when that happens, I'll be laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Judge Thornton certainly misjudged Margaret Cummings, which was a grave mistake. Why, he didn't have the ghost of a chance with her. She double-crossed him right into the graveyard. Oh, a word of caution, if you must commit a murder... Be sure to select the proper weapon. I suggest a sharp-edged axe because it provides you with a handy alibi. When the police want to know why you did it, you can claim the killing was accidental. <laughs> mm-hmm. There now, we've closed the door to the inner sanctum for another week. Time to go. But spread the news to all arch criminals that we shall ride again in their pursuit next week. This is no laughing matter for them, my friend, so take your tongue out of your cheek. That's better. <laughs> this remake of The Dead Laugh from the Inner Sanctum Radio Mystery Series featured the voices of Sean Cantwell as Judge Thornton, John Spencer, and the policeman. The voices of Laura Thornton and Margaret Cummings were provided by Andrea Sutton, and the host and Dr. Fletcher were played by host and producer Tom Sumner. Music for this radio play was borrowed from a recording of Johannes Brahms's Tragic Overture by the Flint Symphony Orchestra. Listen for more special productions in the future, and happy Halloween from the Tom Sumner Program. Hello, darling. This 
Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host, inviting you in through the squeaking door. Well, it's so nice of you to come here tonight and help me sit up with the corpse. He's such dull company, so cold and stiff, bored with being dead. All the life seems to have gone out of him. What? You say you've seen him before? Oh, no. He's not that horror man who plays in pictures, but he does look like him. So much so, in fact, you might even call him... A dead ringer. 
<laughs> no doubt the telephone is an ingenious invention, but as far as I know, no one as yet has been able to commit murder over it. Although many people have wanted to, still there are worse things you can get on the phone than the wrong number, especially if you happen to call the voice on the wire. On a long, narrow island just off the shore of one of our larger lakes, Mrs. Geraldine Reeves, widow of the late composer David Reeves, lives alone in a gaunt, gray-shingled house. Only a few hundred yards away are the charred remains of her former home where David was burned to death in a fire just two years ago. It's after dinner now, and as the clock in the hall strikes eight... You've got to get a hold of yourself, Geraldine. I can't help it, Doctor. You see, it starts every night, about this time. What starts? The music, David's last composition. I hear it being played on a piano, and the notes seem to come from the old house, the house where David died in the fire. Well, perhaps someone is playing that piece on the piano, someone on the island. No, no, there's only one other house out here, and those people are away. And the dog, a dog keeps howling all night long. What dog? I don't know. There's no dog on the island, but David and I did have a dog. Remember? He stayed with David the night of the fire. He died with him because David was too ill to get out of bed. There! There it is again! It's amazing. That's a real dog somewhere on the island. Oh, do you think so? Why, of course. Probably some stray got across the bridge or swam over from the shore. Well, you see, I... Excuse me, Doctor. Certainly. Hello? Mrs. Geraldine Reeves? Yes, speaking. Who is this? Listen. Good heavens! You have four hours to live, Mrs. Reeves. Four hours to live. What? What did you say? Hello? Hello? Oh, God. What's the matter, Geraldine? The music. The same music. I heard it again. What? Over the phone. Someone's playing it. On the piano. It's some sort of a prank. No, no, no. A man a man spoke to me. He said I he said I have four hours to live. Four hours to here. Let me have that phone. No, no, it's no use. He, he's rung off. Well, we might be able to trace the call. Hello? Operator. Operator? Somebody's trying to kill me. Hello? Operator. Operator? What's wrong, doctor? I'm afraid the wires. The wires have been cut. We better get into my car and drive into town right away. Yes. Yes, it isn't safe for me to stay here another minute. Can't understand it. The motor won't turn over. Somebody must have meddled with this car while we were in the house. Well, try my car, doctor. I think perhaps I'd better. Is it in the garage? Yes, yes, I left it. Great heavens, it's gone! The garage is empty! The car's been stolen! Now, let's not lose our heads, Geraldine. We're not completely cut off yet. If we can't use a car, we can still walk. But it's almost a mile to that bridge, and the road is so dark down along the water. It won't be too dark with a flashlight. We can go down through the woods, to the edge of the water, and walk along the shore. Oh, oh, wait a minute. What's the matter? I I just remembered. David's brother is driving out here tonight. Harvey? Yes, and his wife, Laura. They said they'd be here by 8.30, and if we wait for them, they can take us back in their car. 
What do you think, Doctor? That's safer than trying to make it alone. If we wait right here, perhaps we can watch the bridge and see them coming. Heaven's sake, Geraldine, what are you staring at? The bridge, Doctor. The bridge, look! This end of it's been washed out. Oh, Doctor, this is crazy. Searching for a telephone wire in back of the house. If we're seen out here, there's no telling what might happen. Please, Geraldine, we've got to find out where that wire was cut. Splice it together again. It's our only chance of reaching the police. But it's almost nine o'clock. We've wasted an hour already. If I'm not out of here by twelve... Stop it. Geraldine, stop it! I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to... What's that? It's that dog again. That confounded dog is tied up around here somewhere. No, no, I didn't mean that. I I meant the light on the road. There's a strange light on the road. The headlight of a car. Coming this way. A car? Yes. Quick. Behind the house. Stay out of sight. It's turning into the driveway. I've come out onto the island with that bridge out. Shh. You're getting out. Oh, oh, why, it's Harvey and, and Laura. Good heavens. Oh, Harvey. Hello. Harvey. Oh, Harvey. Well, for Pete's sake. Jerry, what are you doing? Playing hide-and-seek with us back there? Oh, Harvey, I'm so glad you've come. Jerry, what's the matter? Oh, everything, everything. But but first you've got to tell us how you got here. Why, we drove over the bridge and on up the road the way we always do. But how could you drive over the bridge? It's been washed out. What? Well, I saw it with my own eyes. And Dr. Preesing saw it, too. Didn't you, Doctor? I certainly did. Oh, you must be mistaken. We drove over the bridge not more than two minutes ago. Are you sure you haven't been on this island longer than that? Oh, I'm positive. Why? Well, some very strange things have been happening here tonight. Geraldine's life was threatened, her car stolen, and mine tampered with. What? What are you talking about? Look, I'll show you. The starter of my car won't even turn the motor over. Here, by George, it's working now. Say, what is this, Jerry? Have you and the doctor been taking a few pills? Or did you drink too much wine at dinner? No, no, no. Everything he said is true. Even the telephone wires have been... I must be going out of my mind. That is my telephone ringing, isn't it? Yes, of course. Aren't you going to answer it? I, I'm almost afraid to. Come with me, Harvey, will you, while I do? Sure. Hello? Hello, Mrs. Reeves? Yes? Listen. It's nine o'clock, Mrs. Reeves. You have three hours to live. I can't stand this waiting. This endless waiting. Why don't the police come? Easy now, Jerry. They'll be here. You only phoned them a few minutes ago. But something can happen before they get here. I have a gun ready, just in case anything should happen. And I won't hesitate to use it. Y you have a gun, Doctor? Why, yes. Geraldine gave it to me before you arrived. Oh. What's the matter? You trust me with a gun, don't you? Why, of course. I... <gasps> Laura, what is it? A face at the window. I just saw a face at the window. Laura, please. You're letting your imagination run away with you. No, I saw it. Right there. The face of a dead man. Quick, Harvey. Out the back way. Right. No, no, please don't leave us. We'll be right outside the window. Jerry, I'm afraid. Well, there's nothing we can do, Laura. They, they won't be far away. But I, I don't trust Dr. Preezing. You never should have given him that gun. Why not? Because, because I think he's a murderer. Laura! Yes! Don't you remember how he acted at the trial when you were accused of starting the fire that killed David? But... 
He testified against you time and again, subtly, to make them think you did it because he started that fire himself. What on earth are you saying? I'm telling you the truth. During the trial, he swore that he wasn't on the island the night of the fire, but he was, and I can prove it. How? By this cigarette case of his. Here, look at it. You see how it's charred and melted on the side where his initials were? He must have left it in the fire that night by mistake. But he couldn't have. The police searched everything the next morning. They would have found it in the ashes. Not if it wasn't there. He came back for it that same night, soon as he missed it, and dragged it out of the fire. He knew it would incriminate him if it were found in his possession, so he threw it into the lake as he drove home over the bridge. And that's where we found it, in the water, the last time we were out here. Oh, Laura, I hope you're wrong. So do I. But if I'm right, we're all in for... Laura! The lights! Somebody's turned off the lights! Ah! Ah! Laura, Laura, where are you? Jerry, the door. Coming through the door. It's the face I saw at the... Laura, Laura! It was meant to be me, Harvey. Whoever came through that door intended to kill me. Jerry, please. How is Laura, doctor? I'm afraid I can't do anything for her, Harvey. She's passed on. Oh, Laura, Laura, darling. You'd better not touch the body, Harvey. Oh, leave me alone. You've done enough already, Dr. Preesing. I beg your pardon? You have a lot of explaining to do when the police arrive, Doctor. I'll tell them how you ran away from me out there before the lights went out and how you were here in this room when they went on again. Harvey, don't say things you'll regret later on. Just a moment. Where is the cigarette case Laura had in her hand when the lights went out? What cigarette case? You know the one I mean, Dr. Preesing. The gold one that was charred in the fire. I haven't the faintest idea what you're talking about. I have, and if you're as innocent as you claim to be, you won't mind being searched. Not at all. Go right ahead. I will. Whom are you calling, Geraldine? The police. I can't understand why they haven't arrived yet. It's almost ten o'clock. Maybe something's happened to them on the way. Maybe their car broke down. Their car, too? Huh? Nothing. Only it seems as if your car is the only one that works when you want it to. Headquarters. Oh, Sergeant, Sergeant, I can't understand why your men aren't here yet. A murder's been committed here. Do you think you've been calling the police department all this time, Mrs. Reeves? David's music? It's ten o'clock, Mrs. Reeves. You have two more hours. Jerry, are you in your room? Yes, Harvey. What is it? This is our chance, Jerry. We've got to run away from Dr. Preesing now, while we're alone. Yes, of course, Harvey. But how will we go? In my car. It's just... Wait a minute. Listen. What is it? Sounds like footsteps in the living room. Precinct must be in there. No, I, I saw him go outside. He said he wanted to see if he could find the dog. Well, there's someone in there. I'm going to find out who it is. Be careful, Harvey. He may be standing just outside the door. Yeah, yeah. All right. You stay behind me. Is anybody there? No, he is doesn't it... seem to be. Don't overlook me, Harvey. Well, Dr. Precinct. You've been standing at this door with your ear to the keyhole? No, not exactly. I thought you were supposed to be outside looking for that dog. I was outside for a while, but I saw someone moving around in here, so I came back. When I got here, your wife's body was gone. What? What? Gone? Laura's body gone? I assume that it's gone. It's not where it was on the floor. For the... But how could... Look here, Precinct. You were alone in this room. And so were you. After I left, wasn't he, Geraldine? Well, yes, now that I think back, 
he was. Certainly. What's more, Geraldine saw me leave the house. And when I left, the body was still here. After that, I don't know what happened. What are you driving at? Draw your own conclusions. I've drawn mine. Why, you... Harvey, stop it. Stop it. I'm sorry, Jerry. I just... The dog again. Yeah, I can't understand why you didn't find that dog, Dr. Preesing. He must be right out there where the old house used to be. Well, if you think you can find him, why don't you go? Good heavens, man. What? Look, look, there's a fire burning out there. On the grounds of the old house. Precinct, you started that fire, and you're burning Laura's body in it to cover up your crime. Harvey, where are you going? I'm going to the fire. I've got to stop it. I've got to put it out. I'm going to lose my mind if someone doesn't stop these awful things from happening. Won't anybody help us? I just can't... Easy, Geraldine. The man who hopes to kill you is trying to break you down first. It's part of his plan. Here, take a sip of this brandy. It'll help you. All right. Thank you, doctor. I... What's the matter? Um, nothing really. I just don't care for any brandy just now. What's wrong with it? Well, I didn't say anything was wrong with it. I just don't... You fool. Do you think I'm trying to poison you? I don't know what to think. Here, give me that brandy. I'll drink it myself. There, believe me now. I don't believe anyone. Listen to me, Geraldine. I'm the best friend you have in the world right now. You've got to understand that, because there isn't much more time. We've got to get away from Harvey while he's still out there. What what do you mean? Can't you see? He's trying to kill you. That's a lie. It isn't, Geraldine. Harvey's the one that lied to us. He and Laura both. They intended to kill you when the lights went out. But in the darkness, Harvey made a fatal mistake. He thought it was you he was strangling, not Laura. I won't believe that. It's the truth. They never drove across that bridge at 9 o'clock tonight. They've been here on the island all evening. How do you know? Because we saw the bridge with our own eyes. And I saw it again just five minutes ago. It's still down. You're lying! Come out. See it for yourself. You're just trying to get me out of this house. Stop being such a fool. Here, take this gun. If it'll give you any security, take it. And hold it in my back while we're out there. But for heaven's sake, let's get away from Harvey while there's still a chance. All right. Give me the gun. Here. Now, you you keep in front of me all the time, and I'm warning you. If you make one false move, I'll, I'll kill you in cold blood. You see, Harvey and Laura were lying to us. The bridge is still down. You're right. They couldn't have come across that bridge. Of course not. The only trouble is, we can't get back over it now either. We've got to get away, Doctor. Now, before we're seen. What about that house at the other end of the island? No, the people are away. But they might have a boat. (gasps) Yes, of course, they do have a boat. We can row to the mainland. Come on, quick. All right. I have a feeling we're being followed. It's your imagination. Hurry, Geraldine, hurry. We are being followed, Doctor. Look behind us. There's a man with a dog. Good heavens. It's just like the dog you owned. That one that died in the fire. Yes, and the man, it's David. We've lost them. Lost them in the woods. They can't be far behind. (sighs) Doesn't matter now. The house is just ahead. But the boat, Doctor, the boat is not at the landing. It must be. Well, it isn't. Can't you see it isn't? Perhaps it's around back. No, that side of the house faces the road. 
Then we'll have to break in. Hide here until morning. Our best chance is to be inside where we can protect ourselves. After all, you still have a gun. But I hardly know how to use it. Then give it to me. No. You still don't trust me, do you? I don't know, Doctor, but I'm the one who's been threatened, so I really should have the gun. Very well. Wait here. I'll break through the window and come around on the inside. Did you hurt yourself? Nope. I'm all right. Just wait there for me, and I'll unlock the door. Oh, hurry. Doctor, please hurry. They're on our trail again. Come inside, Geraldine, quickly, and lock the door behind you. What's wrong, Doctor? Nothing's wrong. We're in luck. There's a phone, if it hasn't been disconnected. Hello? Hello, operator. This isn't the operator. Tell Mrs. Reeves it's 11 o'clock. She has one more hour to live. Half past 11. I won't leave this house. I'm not going to run away any longer. If they're going to kill me, let them come here and do it. Only for heaven's sake, why don't they do it right away? Why don't they come here and get it over with instead of waiting until 12 o'clock? Geraldine, please. Well, I can't stand it any longer. I'd rather die than go through any more of this torture. I I can't take it anymore. Sit down for a moment. Relax and try to ease your mind. Oh, for Dr. Preesing, what are you doing? Playing the piano. I thought it might relax you. But that melody, you, you're the one I hear at night playing David's music. Playing it right here in this house. Yes, Geraldine. I rented this house to protect you from David and the dog. Well, stop it. Stop playing that piece. Stop it! You didn't know that David would come back to life, did you, Geraldine? No. Stay where you are. Stay! Don't be afraid. I won't harm you, as long as you have that gun. But the gun won't stop David. David's dead! Is he? Listen. It's right outside the door. And in a moment, he'll be here to take you with him. No! David! David! Yes, Geraldine. I've come back to see you, in spite of everything you've done. Stop! You killed me, didn't you, darling? You started that fire because you knew I was too much of an invalid to get out of bed. Stay where you are. You hated me, Geraldine. Stop! No, your bullets can't harm me now. Nothing you can do can harm me because I'm dead and you're still alive. David, David, forgive me. I I didn't know what I was doing that night. Please, please, believe me. I was sorry as soon as I started that fire, but it was too late then. I, I couldn't. I couldn't put it out. I just couldn't. I, I'm so... How dare you? How dare you ask my forgiveness when you're still lying? But I'm not lying. I'm not. I told you everything. Why didn't you tell the police? Because I wanted to live. You'll confess everything now? Yes. Oh, yes, David. I will. If you'll just leave me alone. Please, please. It was my cigarette case Laura found in the water. I thrown it over the bridge that same night after I took it out of the fire. I... Well, I guess that's all we need, Harvey. A full confession with two witnesses. Harvey? Yes, Geraldine. I do look like my brother in this dim light. <laughs> and the dog Laura's holding outside is the same breed as the one you own. L- Laura? Laura, did you say Laura was alive? Very much so, Geraldine. <gasps> Wasn't hard for me to pretend being dead. With the doctor keeping you away from my body. Then you you were all in this together. You forced this confession out of me? Yes, Geraldine. The blank cartridges Dr. Precing slipped into that gun of yours really turned the trick. Oh, excuse me. Hello? Oh, hello, Inspector. Yes, it's all right now. You can hook the wires up again. She's told us the truth. And you better get to work on that bridge right away. It's, uh, still down. 
Well, it's time for me to join the moonbeams now, but before I leave under a cloud, before I'm missed, I thought I might pass on the moral of tonight's story. If you must light a fire under your husband's bed, be careful where you drop the ashes. So take your tongue out of your cheek. That's better. (laughs) The Voice of the Wire was originally broadcast in November of 1944 as part of the classic radio mystery series, The Inner Sanctum. This remake was recorded in March of 2017 in the Tom Sumner Program studio and featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young as Geraldine, Bruce Green played the Doctor, and Laura was played by Laura Green. Randy Zimmerman played Harvey, David, and the voice on the wire. Listen for more old-fashioned radio for a new generation on the Tom Sumner Program weekdays at TomSumnerProgram.com. What's the matter? All right, all right. Blanche, Blanche. I'm putting a ribbon in my hair. Where are you going? I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is. I do, too. It's rent day. It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary. Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of some kind. (laughs) 
What kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny. No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy, that's all. I'm sorry. I knew you'd forget. I didn't forget it. So why didn't you say something? Blanche, I just opened my eyes. You forgot it. I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something? No, it's too late to do anything. It's sad about you. How you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know. Okay, okay. There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught. There's better bait, too. I'm serious. Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour. I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee. Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home? 12.30. If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2. I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff. Did you bring the potatoes for the potato salad? I brought potatoes. Did you pair them? I paired them. All of them? All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants? Nobody stole your pants. I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink. Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack. How'd they get there? I put them there. Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. (laughs) Gotta get them or I'll be late. You won't be late. Here are your pants. Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants. They're not? Then whose pants are they? That's a good question, only I should be asking. Don't be so snobby. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now. What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in. You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot. Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years, and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Hand me my Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken. Why don't you wear your belt? I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes. John Fitterson, you know you're just... I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt? I didn't hide it anywhere. Well, where is it? I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep. Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with? Hasn't hurt anything, has it? No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway? The canary is sensitive to light. Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up. John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche, I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread. You never should have quit your other job. You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold. Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight. That's no problem for you. I gotta go. Here, and don't forget your samples. I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche? There, there. Now, got everything? 
I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money? Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl. 50 cents? You can bring me the change when you come home. Now listen, Blanche, something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket. Now don't yell at me. I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore. What's the matter with your lunches? You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper sack. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas? John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years. Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink. John, that's the garbage. Goodbye, Blanche. Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. 